morning, and uh, thank you, worship team. Thank you so much for all that you do and that uh, what you bring for us. Just opens up our hearts so that we can uh, we can worship Him, and we appreciate your time and your efforts for sure. I also wanted to just uh, thank Zach for last week. I thought Zach did a great job last week. Just spoke so well, and uh, what I really like is he really raised the bar. Um, he raised that bar really high as far as our public speaking program for this for this summer. And what I love about that, and what I appreciate that about that, is the higher he raises that bar the easier it is for me to squeak underneath it each week. So I, I thank Zach for that. And uh, I thought, too, you might want a sabbatical update. So I don't know about you, but when Mark mentioned the sabbatical thing, one of the first things I did was Google it to see if that was a real thing or not, because I'm like, I don't, I don't think that's real. I think he's making that up. But it's a real thing. And uh, I ended up reading an article about kind of the top 10 things that people do when they're on sabbatical. So one of the ones right at the top of the list was, uh, was to reconnect with nature. So I, I did a little Googling, and I was able to find out that, indeed, Mark has spent the past week sport fishing, and I actually was able to get a picture off the line. He's, uh, I'm sure he's fine. He's having a good time, and uh, it sounds weird to say, but we're glad he's not here. We know he needs that time of refreshment, and uh, so uh, we're, we're happy for him. And uh, uh, the last time I spoke, I, I spoke on the topic of remembering, and I simply said that, you know, the idea of, of remembering what God's done for you in the past should really enable you to trust him more in the future. And, uh, and uh, I had no complaints about that at all. Uh, but a few, a few weeks later, I spoke on confession. And let's just say when I spoke on confession, uh, some of you had some thoughts. And, uh, and uh, in particular, there was a few people who spoke to me about an expression I used where I said, you might be playing a game. And what I had said was that if you ever find yourself trapped in a cycle of sin and confession, sin and confession, sin and confession, and n- nothing's changing, I said, you might be playing a game. And then I simply asked, asked you all, you know, if that's the game you're playing, do you feel like you're winning? And, uh, and afterwards, I had a few people speak to me afterward, but somebody in particular came and spoke to me and just said, you know, I really felt condemned by what you said. And at first I thought, hey, I'm the guest speaker. Go talk to your pastor if you have a complaint. But I realized, okay, I, I better listen to this out. And I realized that, you know, it, it, that was never my intention, and it's probably not the right use of the word, but there's something there. There was something there that uh, somebody had heard that message and really felt, uh, and the, the word they used was condemned. And that's really where the, 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 uh, the series we're going to go into now, we're going to spend five weeks in a series simply called Losing Your Religion. And it's not an original topic uh, title. It's a name of a fairly famous song, as well as uh, probably about 10,000 sermon series if you go online. But uh, it, it fits. And this week, we're going to talk about something called Paradise Lost. And it's this idea that maybe we've lost something from the church, something that the church had 2,000 years ago and how they worked and how they, they, they lived out the gospel. And maybe over time, church has developed into something that, uh, that, was, never, that was never the original intention. And, uh, and I would start by saying that the simple idea that church never used to be a place where you might go to feel condemned. And, uh, and, and I want to begin by simply telling you, you know, as a believer, you are literally uncondemnable. I'm not sure if that's a word, but you're uncondemnable. And what that means is it's not just at a moment in time, at the moment of salvation, you are instantly uncondemned, but it's a constant state that you live in. Mark once said this. He said, the best part of being a Christian is not what's going on around you, but what's going on inside of you. And that's, that's this idea of as great as this is, as great as Sunday morning at Kingsway is, it's, it's nothing compared to what's God doing, what God's doing in you. And that's a part of Christianity that I think is so hard to explain to other people. It's very hard for other people to understand what we're talking about because they look at Christianity through the lens of religion. And I really think there's, there's basically kind of three types of people, three groups of people, if you will, 
who might come into a church from time to time and feel a little sense of condemnation, feel a little bit like they're, they're, they're being condemned. And, and I really, really, really wanted to make, make up name tags for everybody. And you'd have to pick one of the three to wear on your shirt. But since the first name tag says this, I'm not doing it right, I assumed eventually it would get back to Mark and I would be in some sort of trouble that I made the entire congregation wear a name tag that says I'm not doing it right. But that's our first group of people. It's a group of people who come to a church and they walk in and they're like, I'm not doing this right. I know I'm not doing this right. And, and really, who needs that? If you're not being successful at a task, you already know. You don't need somebody to tell you. I mean, there's very few people that are that self-unaware that they wouldn't know that for themselves. I say the one exception is the Dutch during the World Cup. They have no idea. They, they really think they have a chance and they don't see it. But everybody, everybody else, like you kind of have the awareness about, about who you are and what's going on. And so, you, you know, these are the people who might believe in God or do believe in God, but you also believe there are some rules. And in following those rules, you feel that you would probably receive a failing grade. You come to church, you see some other people, the other people who seem to have it together a little more than you do. You think about the past week, the past months of your life, and you have this feeling of condemnation. You have a feeling that somehow magically walking into this building, somehow you've been judged as, as not good enough or that you're not doing it right. You may actually be at the point where you wish you could change in your not doing it right name tag for simply an I'm not that bad name tag. Because at least that feels a little bit closer to where you want to be. But it leads to this feeling of condemnation. And most likely, someone dragged you here today. And maybe not literally, but you, you had that feeling of like, oh, do I have to go? Is there a way I can get out of the talking part? You know, can, I, can I find something else to be doing this morning? Maybe I can change a shift at work. Because it's not a comfortable place to be. And let's be honest, some of you are not excited right now at the topic I've chosen to speak on this week. Because it's like, I don't, I don't really want to hear that. And you know, I've been there, I've, not at this church, but at other churches I've gone to, I, I've hated going to church. And I, I was dragged there, not physically dragged there, but I was dragged there by the feeling that I didn't want to have an argument with my wife, and I didn't want to set a bad example for my kids, so I'm just going to go. But man, could I set a record at getting out of church at the end. If you know my wife, she didn't follow me, I sat in the car for 20 minutes, but that was, that was my existence in church. I didn't feel good walking in that building. Was I a believer? Yes but I had a feeling of condemnation when I walked in that building because I felt like I'm not doing it right. There's something missing in my life and there's something going on that's not right. There's another type of person. Uh, these people might be better, best labeled as the I might be doing it right crowd. I might be doing it right. It's the other side of the coin. You kind of feel like you're okay and you're probably doing better than most people. And, you know, I, I'm at least average on my worst day, better than average most days. And I, I kind of come to church and I feel a little bit like maybe I can celebrate myself a little bit. I feel good about coming to church most of the time. I come in here, I sing the songs, I see my friends, I listen to a message, and I feel pretty good about what's just happened. But there's also some times when you come in and you've had a week that maybe has been a little bit more trying than you might hope. You feel like you've missed the mark a lot in that particular week. And you kind of come here and just that one day you walk in and feel like, I don't know if I belong here today. And that's a feeling of condemnation. That's a feeling of like, I'm, uh, you know, although I might, I usually am doing it right, I feel like I'm not this week. And there's that sense in you that says, I don't know. I don't even know if I should be there. I don't know if you've ever had that, that line up with when we do communion. And you're like, I don't even know if I should do this this week. I, I'm just feeling kind of ill-willed Ill about the whole thing. And that's what condemnation is. And so there's times where you feel very close to God. And you feel like things are going well. But there's times where you feel like, you know what? I should know better than this. I should do better than this. And you feel that there's a distance between you and God because you're struggling with something. 
And so that's our second group of people. Our third group of people, they're kind of, they're kind of an interesting group. I like these guys. These are the I gave up on doing it right people. You're the people who have probably been a Christian for many years and have probably worked their way through those other labels and they get to the point where it's like, I don't know anymore. I just kind of put all the God stuff out of my mind. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I come to church. I, I, you know, I, I do those sort of things. And it really comes down to a case of where I know in my, in my head that God loves me, but I have a real hard time believing that he likes me very much because I feel like I'm never where I should be. I feel like sin is such a large part of my life. I feel like I'm disappointing to him. And so I feel condemned, and I, and I, and I kind of fall into this rut, if you will, where it's just like I, I go to church and I do my thing and the weeks and months and years roll by and I haven't grown. I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm closer to the Lord than I was before. And I'll tell you, that's, where, that's, that's the name tag where I lived a very large part of my life was in the I've given up on doing it right category. And so when I put, if we put all three of those back up for a quick second on the board, I, I ask you, like, which one might apply to you? And maybe not today, because that's kind of the whole secret to the blue one, right? It's not every day. But which one of those might apply to you or has applied to you? I, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but none of those apply to me. I had to make a, a separate one up for me just so that you know um, where I stand. It's coming here. There it is. So uh, I was hoping Zach was here so I could stare him down. But uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, just to go back to those, those labels. And maybe some of you are like, that doesn't resonate at all. That's not me. I know I'm doing it right. I got a different name tag, or I, I'm nailing it every week. I couldn't be better. And, and for those people, I congratulate you, and I simply say, you've got a free half hour right now. So I, I've got a few suggestions up on the board here how you might want to kill that half hour while I'm just kind of droning on. Um, but, uh, but if none of those, I'm sure all of those will do at least 15 minutes. I don't even know what the, what the bottom left is in. I don't know what that is. Is that LinkedIn? Do you do that for fun? No, so I don't know. I don't know. But anyway. For those of you who are here and those of you who can relate to one of those name tags, can I just say thank you very much for coming this morning because apparently, based on those name tags, none of you actually want to be here. And I think it's important that you came. And so uh, regardless of which of those categories you find yourself in, though, how you feel about God and how you think God feels about you, that's the problem with religion. And let me say that again. How each of these groups of people feel about God is the problem with religion. So over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time looking at this idea of religion. We're going to look at how we might go about replacing religion with something better, something that was originally mandated by the early church and by Jesus, and something that we may have just lost over the last 2,000 years. Because my best definition of religion is just anyone's attempt, my attempt, your attempt, Kingsway's attempt, anyone's attempt to, to find a way to get right with God. It's me making an attempt to get right with God, to be honest, with regardless of whatever God that might be. And religion tells us that there's a whole lot of rules that need to be followed, and your value is based on your adherence to those rules. The better rule follower you are, the closer you must be to God. It's a belief that your deeds are going to earn you some sort of right standing with God. And on and, and some level, even knowing some of us are like, ah, that's not right, on some level, that's how, that's how our society works that merit counts for something. Then the problem is that, that when we look at these rules that we think we need to follow, 
we, we can't even agree. Even as Christians, we can't agree on what those rules are. I mean, if I were to take a thousand different Christians and just say to them, what are the top five things you need to do? If you're going to be a Jesus follower, what's the top five things you need to do? You need to follow, you need to make a part of your life. And I think you would get a thousand different lists if you asked a thousand different people. And so I thought, you know what, I'll put together my list for you so you can just see and, and see if this is the same as your list. So the first one I would say is simply this. Uh, my commandments are simply, thou shall honor thy guest speaker. <laughs> Bowing, curtsying, head nods, little salute. I don't care what, finger guns are good, but you need, you need, to, uh, you need to honor thy guest speaker. The second one would be this, thou shalt give generously to thy guest speaker. I'll be at the back door, cash is easier just because I don't want to explain to Mark why he's got to cut me a check, but that's, that's one of my top five rules. Number three, thou shalt have coffee ready when the guest speaker arrives at church. That's very important. I got here really early last night, didn't tell anybody I was coming early, and there was no coffee. And I, I find that unacceptable, uh, to be honest. And number four, thou shalt not cringe at thy guest speaker's singing voice during worship. I'm talking to you, Rick. Yeah. Most, most of the front crowd, the Ferbers are very polite. They just kind of smile and nod a little bit. Uh, Rick gives you one of these. Rick kind of goes. And then and you just tell, he, he's, he, he's, for the rest of worship, he's struggling. He, he can't get over that. But Rick, can you work on that, please? That's one of my five. The fifth one here is... Uh, Thou shalt let, let thy guest speaker borrow your car without asking him to refill the gas tank. And that was a, that was a little more uh, uh, on, on target earlier this week when I found myself without a car. And I was planning on just starting to call you all up and tell you where I needed rides to. But, uh, but those are my five rules. And my guess is that those are not your five rules. And my guess is if I was to put a serious list of the five things I think Christians should all agree on and should all do... Uh, there'd probably be a lot of head nodding, but there'd also probably be a lot of people who came up with different versions of those rules. So we don't even have this idea of what the rules are, but we do have this idea that these rules need to be followed. And so what it really comes down to is I want, I want justice for me, and I, I want mercy for me, and I want forgiveness for me, and I want you to all judge me based on my intentions but to be honest, I'm going to judge all of you based on your actions. And it becomes very difficult. And I think the perfect example is, is uh, when it comes to the speed you drive your car. Have you ever noticed that no matter what speed you're going, that's the correct speed? Because if you're driving along at 95 and you have to slow down because someone's doing 80, you have some choice comments for the person driving 80, you make some suggestions about which pedal they should be using, and then you pass them and give them a glare on the way by. Is that just me? That's just me, okay? I just realized that. Your faces are all horrified right now. It's like, no, you slow down and you realize you made a mistake, not me. Or if I'm, going, uh, if I'm going 95 and somebody blows by me, that guy's a maniac. Like, the right speed is my speed. And if you're not going the same speed as me, you're not following the rules properly. And it's really, you can really expand that to a lot of aspects of our lives. What does it mean to, to be a good Christian? It really, for a lot of people, kind of comes down to, well, here's what I do. And it becomes a problem because we have all of these rules. We, ha we have, you know, we have rules, uh, Bible rules, Old Testament versus New Testament rules. And I think many people are like, well, you don't have to follow those ones from the Old Testament, but you should from the New Testament. Some people would just be happy, just golden rule, keep it simple. Uh, parents have rules that kind of use God rules as parenting rules, which, which, which can work and it can also not really work as well. Like, you know, the, the what would Jesus uh, do thing, you know, that can be a serious moment for self-reflection with you and your kids. Or it can be what comes out of your mouth when you look over at the bulk bar and your kid is shoveling gummy worms in their mouths and you're just like, I just want that behavior to stop right now. I just, uh, you know, I don't want to see that anymore. And so these are the way we use rules. Churches have rules. 
pastors have rules, small groups have rules. If you join a new small group, you'll find out quite, quite quickly there seems to be a way things kind of happen. I mean, guest speakers, since Mark's not here, they have no rules, but for everybody else, you have these rules in your lives. And the way that you see those rules and the way, that you, the way in which you believe those rules are to be followed, that's the problem with religion because our relation, any relationship that is based strictly on performance will eventually lead you to a point where you don't feel secure in that relationship because if you're not perfect, you're not meeting the standard. And that's true for personal relationships, that's true for a relationship with God. If your relationship is strictly based on performance, there's no security in that. But a relationship that's built on unconditional love is the exact polar opposite, the opposite end of the spectrum of what we call performance-based. And, and it's understandable why we struggle with that because every single system outside of a relationship with God, I believe every single system is basically performance-based. I mean, if you think about your job, your career, what you do for work, I mean, they don't keep you around 364 days because you're a lot of fun at the Christmas party, right? If you don't perform, if you don't do a good job, you don't work there anymore. You know, school, I think, I think us teachers, we're, we're the most upfront about it. We are judging you from the minute you walk in the room. We are deciding what random made-up grade we're going to give you in June based on what happens all throughout the year. And you ask us, hey, where did you come up with that grade from? And I'm like, hmm. Great, I'm, I'm, I'm taking it all in. I'm taking it all in. And I think at least we're honest about it. I mean, sports, sports, they literally keep score, right? Score, right? Nobody pays somebody $50 million a year to hit, a, to hit 110. I mean, unless you're the Yankees, and then that's all you do. But are there any Yankee fans here? Because I can, I can wait while you leave if that's... No. A joke would be so much better if they weren't kicking everyone's butt this year. But politics, you lose the election, you lose your job just right on the spot. You don't have a seat, you don't have, you're done. Right? Marriage. Let's be honest. Marriage. 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Think about that. If 50% of marriages end in divorce, somewhere along the way, people are not meeting up to, we won't call them rules, but we'll say expectations. We'll say, you know what? They're not who I thought they were. They're not who they, they should be. They've changed. Whatever it might be, your performance is what's costing you. And parenting. If you're honest, 99% of parents at least once have looked at their kids and say, I have to love you because you're my kid. And if, you're, if there's any kids here, your parents are the 1% exception, I promise. But that's, that's just the way these, these relationships work, right? Everything in our society is performance-based. And so when someone says to you, but not God, we, we, can, we can agree with that. We can understand that. But we have such a hard time making that a reality in our lives because on some level, we think God is in that same category. If I perform well, he loves me more. And that leads to condemnation. When you don't perform well, the only other alternative is he loves me less. So I, uh, I wanted to start this week in, in Romans. We're going to do Romans 8. And so if you have a Bible, you want to look for it, that's great. If you can't find Romans, this is not a performance-based task. That's okay. Use the table of contents. I was talking to somebody last night, and I think I'm losing my ability to find things in my actual paper Bible. Because on, on your phone or on your iPad, you, just, you don't have to find things in context. You just click. So use the table of contents. Look it up on your phone if you like. We're going to do Romans 8. And, uh, and we're just going to be in the first verse that simply says this. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. See? I told you. No condemnation. None. It doesn't say that there's no condemnation for those who try their best. It doesn't say there's no condemnation for those who get it right or for those who are perfect. There is no condemnation for those who belong to him. Period. End of story. If you were a Jesus follower, you are uncondemnable. 
I want to take a look at that word condemn for a minute because, as you know, I, lo I love to go back to the original Greek because the two languages, the original ancient Greek and, and uh, English, they don't line up very well, usually at all. And so it's always interesting to hear kind of what that word means um, in, a, in the original language. So uh, to do that, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna launch ourselves into what I believe is your favorite part of every week. And that is when we get to play the exciting game show, Let's Take a Peek at the Greek. So I'm going to need a volunteer, somebody who's going to come up and stand right here, someone who is brave. I know what you're thinking. Some of you are like, is he going to Richard Dawson me? Like, I will not kiss you. If you've seen Richard Dawson before, Family Feud, I get it. You're safe. Somebody, somebody's being pointed at, and now if somebody was to maybe push him a little out of his seat, I have to have a volunteer. I will stand here till three in the afternoon waiting for a volunteer. I am, I am, I'm, Nate's coming up. <laughs> Nate's coming up. Thank you, Nate. I guess my first question has been rendered mute, but uh, sir, what is your name? Nate. This is Nate. He seems, he seems genuine. I'm going to tend to believe him. This is Nate. This is Nate. Nate, I'm going to teach you the Greek pronunciation for the word condemn today. And we're going to do that by giving you a, a series of clues here for you to put the word together. So if we look up here, we're going to have to put these four syllables together. If you'd prefer and you're fluent, you can just read it off the, uh, the, the bottom there, the original, uh, the original word. But if not, we're going to go through these. So do you, we'll give you a little hint here. Well, you tell us. What's the first picture? Cat. Cat, right. So if you're thinking kitty cat, very seldom did Paul ever write kitty cat when he was writing, uh, you know, writing the scripture. So you're right, cat. This one's tough. Who is this? Kathy. Somebody said it. Kathy. Kathy. What does Kathy say? Ach. I don't know why. She says, ach. You try to find another use of the word, ach. So this is from a comic strip from like 50 years ago that nobody liked then and nobody knows of now, but still. So we have cat and we have ach. Next up. Cream. Finally. Nate, are you ready? Ach. Try it. Try just that one. Ah. 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 All right. Here we go. Ready? You hold the mic and you take a big step back. Cat ah, crema. Oh, that's very good. That's exactly how the Google man says it when you but don't leave yet. You're not done. Aw, that was cute. You thought you were done. Uh, we of course have prizes because we're a game show and that's what game shows do. And by the way, don't forget at the end you have to say you had a great time being here. That's just what you say. But uh, but uh, we're gonna put up three doors for you here. You're gonna pick one of these three doors behind. Each of these three doors is the exact same prize, so think carefully. <laughs> number three. Last night pick, number three, too. Number three, congratulations, is a Theo Corton's gift card. It's the same great coffee flavor, new Greek year name. So congratulations. Round of applause for Nate. Katachrima. Perfect. Thank you, for, thank you for that, Nate. I'm, I'm deciding if that, was, uh, that worked or not. We're going to tell me after if that worked or not. Or, uh, I might do it every week from now on. I enjoyed it. But uh, what does that word mean, condemn? And so remember, we're going to look at the word condemn, but keep in, the, keep in the back of your mind that we're talking about no condemnation. So we're going to say what condemn means, and we're going to be thinking the opposite. So here's the official definition from, uh, from, the, uh, from the Strong's people to pronounce an unfavorable or adverse judgment on someone. So no condemnation would mean to pronounce a favorable and positive judgment on someone. 
to exact a damnatory sentence against someone after due process. So I guess that means no condemnation would mean to exact a heavenly sentence for someone after due process, to issue a punishment as a result of judgment, to issue a reward. This is my favorite one, to declare incurable. The definition of condemnation includes this idea of being declared incurable. You can't get better. That's what condemnation is. It's the end of the line. You can't get better. So the opposite of incurable would, I guess, never to be sick again. Or to express strong disapproval of, which would mean to a strong approval of someone. That's what the word condemnation means, and that's what no condemnation means. It is not a momentary second in time where God has said, you are right with me because you've accepted me as your Lord and Savior. We're good. Now we start over, and the next minute... You start this new relationship with Christ where you, you see how long you can go before you make a mistake. Because that doesn't work. And we're going to talk about why that doesn't work in a few minutes here. But that's, that's what we see. If we, we see it's not about your actions, your choices, or behaviors. But that seems crazy to us because that's not how the world works. Everything is based on your actions, your choices, and your behaviors. And when we hear that God doesn't look at us and say, you're not doing well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some space from you, that he doesn't do that, that he never does that, that he does not condemn us no matter what, that we are uncondemnable, it seems like it can't be right. It seems like, it, it's, it seems like it's not just. And so I wanna, we're going to take a quick look at a story in Luke. And if you want to keep your finger just in Romans, we're coming back there. You can use the screen here. But here's what it says in Luke 23, starting in verse 39. So this is at the moment of crucifixion. Jesus is on the cross. He's surrounded, of course, by these two criminals or thieves or just these two terrible people. Uh, we know that, you know, the idea of being crucified was not just for, you know, petty criminals. It was for the worst of the worst. And so there's these two guys hanging up there with Jesus. And it says this, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saying, saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man, he's referring to Jesus, this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into the kingdom. Let's just stop there for a second. What's your gut reaction to that? Yeah, right. Like, there's no way, right? This guy's lived an entire life of being the worst kind of person. He has been against God his entire life. He has not had one concern for another person. He has lived this life where we have just heard where they fully admit they deserve to be up there. That is their just punishment. So we think, yeah, nice try, buddy. Like, I, I commend you for the effort. I really do. But there's something in me that said, that. well, that's not right. That's not fair. That's not justice. But that's not what Jesus said. Look in the very next verse. It says this. But Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. How? How is this guy going to prove that he's going to do better? How is he going to show that he's genuine and he's going to make a better showing of himself in the future? How is he going to get a chance to actually live out this new declaration? And the simple answer is he's not. That Jesus knows his heart. And in that moment, the simple fact that he has come to Jesus means he is uncondemned. And that's all there is to it. And so we look at Romans verse 2, we continue on from verse 1, it says this, and because you belong to him, and this is an important proviso that we're going to see three times in this passage, that because you belong to him, not for anyone, but for those who belong to Jesus, the power of the life-giving spirit 
And you'll see that's a capital S spirit that refers to Holy Spirit. It says that has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And this is a very important concept, and it's kind of hard to understand at first. But what he's saying is that by accepting Christ, by having Christ in you, you have Holy Spirit in you. And that power, he says, is greater than, what's the exact wording here, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And this concept of, of this law of sin and death, this is a very straightforward concept, a cause and effect. It, sim- it simply says this, if you sin, you die. If you sin at some point, you will die at some point. And it's very straightforward that way. And what he's saying is, that, that's a law, that's in place. He says, but there is a greater power at work in the lives of Christians and the work of the lives of people who believe in him. And, it, and I, the best way I can think of is to describe it is to simply think of it this way. The law of sin of death is a lot like the law of gravity. It affects everyone. It affects everyone equally. It's a constant, and it's always there. And the law of sin and death, is, is tr- that is true. That is true for us as well. But I, I want to introduce you to something beyond the law of gravity, and that would be the law of aerodynamics. And the law of aerodynamics is greater than the law of gravity. The law of aerodynamics allows something like this, a 747 aircraft. It allows this aircraft, which weighs, weighs 448 tons. It has 95,710 horsepower, and they get that thing going 570 miles an hour. That is a greater law. And so if you're on that airplane, does gravity still exist? It absolutely does. Do you care? Not really because I'm going up in this thing, and it's, it's so much more powerful. And that's what the spirit is. It's a more powerful law that comes in and takes the place of the law of gravity in the lives of believers. And so people, people know gravity. People trust gravity. People, people are comfortable with gravity. And Paul's saying to them, guys, who cares about gravity? There's something greater available to you. Holy Spirit is more powerful than gravity. and has the ability to lift you above and make gravity irrelevant to you. And that's the power that comes from Holy Spirit. It says those who belong to him are released from the law of sin and death because of a more powerful law that is brought in by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.3 continues this way. It says the law of Moses was unable to save you because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So the law could not save us because of us. We, we were not able to do it. So it says, so God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in the body Uh, like the bodies we sinners have. He's talking about Jesus coming in human flesh to walk on the earth with us. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And what that says is this. The law, which is you doing your best to do good works, to do things right, to do things the way it should be done, your best effort, it says that does not work. And it says because that does not work, Uh, The reason it does not work is because it depends on us. It says that it's what the law could not do because of our weakness. Then it goes on to say this. Instead, sorry, what it means is that because it depends on us, we are are destined and and determined to fail at that. We will get get an F on a report card, although they don't give out Fs anymore. Ask me about that after. (laughs) And it's partially because... God is not the God of second chances. You've probably heard that God is the God of second chances. That, that's absolutely not true. God is the God of infinite chances. If you give me a second chance, I'll screw up my second chance. If you give me a third one, I'm going to do that too. I think of it this way. You ever, you ever see at a basketball game at the halftime show, they have somebody from the crowd come out, like shoot a three, throw for $1,000 or something like that. You've seen that? So one of you have seen that. Perfect. So just, just, I just imagine like I get called down, and if I can dunk this basketball... 
I'm going to get a million dollars. And so I, I, I back way up somehow thinking if I'm going faster, I'll go higher. And I, I, just, I, I check first, do I have to dribble it? Because I'm going to kick the ball if I have to dribble it. No, no traveling. You can just, you just go dunk that basketball. And I, I just go charging down that court. People are cheering. People are, people are chanting my name. I know they wouldn't do that, but that's how they do it in my little fantasy here. And they're chanting my name. And I leap up into the air, extending that ball. And I fly through the air for several inches before crashing down and chipping my tooth and scraping my knee. And so I'm sitting there, and the ball rolls off into the crowds, and I'm, I'm sitting there on the ground holding my knee, you know, when you take all the skin off your knee, and I can feel the tears are welling up in my eyes, and I know all the cameras are focused on me, and I'm like, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to cry. Of course, I start crying. And, uh, and as, I, as I get back up to my feet, the ref comes over and gives me the ball and says, you want to try again? No, thank you. I, I think I'm good. I, I think I've done all I can do here. I don't need a second chance. I need you to change the rules. Lower the net. Give me a trampoline. Let me, get on the, uh, let me climb on the back of one of these, these professional basketball players. I don't need a second chance. What I need is help. And, and, and no matter how many times, and we can expand that, expand that into kind of the rest of our lives, no matter how many chances we get, we can't get it right. The, the verse tells us, he says, we're, we're too weak to be perfect. And he says, that's okay. Because we're too weak to be perfect, we have to rely on someone else. And that's what God's job is. That's what God's going to do. And the law requires perfection, and since we can't and never will be able to meet that standard, we are given the perfection of Jesus in our place. And then, so when God looks at you, he doesn't see a broken down sinner who can't get it right. What he sees when he sees you is the perfection and the righteousness of his son in your face. That's who he sees. He sees the perfection of Jesus when he looks at you. He is not up there with a scorecard, angrily writing down all the things you wrote that you're doing wrong. And that, that is the start of a relationship with him. See, religion is the idea that God loves us more when we do well. But this, this is so much more than that. This is what Jesus died for. I think we really dishonor what Jesus died for when we slide back into a performance-based relationship with him. God says that, that when we belong to him, we are righteous. And you may be like, yeah, but I don't, I don't feel righteous. And if you knew about my week, I'm not righteous. And if you knew what I was really like during the, you know, when I'm not at church, and I would just say to you, stop. That's religion. That's religion telling you that. That's not God. God says you are not condemned. No condemnation is a gift from God. It's not earned. It's never earned. And not only, not only is it not earned, but it's not maintained either. Your right relationship with God is not maintained through your ability to follow the rules. It's putting your trust into, into him and simply saying that when Jesus died, he died for me. And not just saying that because that's the sort of things we say, but believing it and saying, he's paid the price for my sins. And when I keep reclaiming that, when I keep taking that back, when I keep piling condemnation on myself, it's, it's really dishonoring to what Jesus has done. Jesus did it once and for all. And it's not God who keeps pulling that back from us. That is us. That is us in our society telling us that we don't do it right and we're not good enough. It's, not, it's about receiving. It's about accepting. It's about trusting what God's done. It's not about doing the things we think he wants us to do. There was that, uh, at a youth conference, they had a, they had a panel, and the youth could, they, they, they had a series of discussions, and the youth could ask questions. And one of the youth went up and, and simply asked, you know, in 30 seconds, can you explain the difference between joining a religion and being a Jesus follower? And the, and the man on stage said, I, I don't need 30 seconds. He said, I just, need, I just need one sentence. He says, religion is all about do. Being a Jesus follower is about what's been done. 
And that I, I hope that that can be the launching pad for our next. For some of you who are like, I don't want to come back because this is too good to be true. Uh, there, there is more. But if you can't, if we can't wrap our heads around this as a, as a starting point, all the rest, it's amazing how quickly it all reverts back to, yeah, but if I do this, yeah, if I stop doing that. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna spend a, several weeks, we're going to spend five weeks in total looking at this idea of what no condemnation really means, but also knowing that God doesn't want us to live in a, in, a, in a state of perpetual sin either, that he has a better plan than the plan that we have laid out. And so being a Jesus follower, can I just end with this? Being a Jesus follower is not about what you can do for God. It's about what God has already done for you. Can we pray? Lord, maybe, maybe for some here today, there's a, there's a sudden understanding that, uh, that the gospel is greater than, than the religion we've reduced it down to. And maybe we've never understood that before. Maybe we suddenly realize that, you know, that is me. I'm, I'm firmly in that religion category of, of, of always endeavoring to do better in my own strength and always finding myself falling short and feeling condemned because of it. And Lord, I just, just always want to remind everyone what they did that day that they came to you, Lord, that they, they found salvation in you. And when they prayed that prayer, and they simply said to you, Lord, I'm trusting in you. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm not able to do all that I should be able to do. And I accept that you came to save me. And I accept that you, as my Savior, have done that already. And we know that, you know, right now it's not about my good works. It's about my relationship with you that counts. And so thank you for saving me, Lord. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. But even more so, thank you for the gift of having an opportunity to be in relationship with you, to be a loving son to, to my loving, godly father. It's a relationship where I would never feel condemned. Instead, I only feel loved. And so, Lord, we just pray this. We pray this for this group, for anybody who might be watching online, whenever this message might reach them, Lord, would they truly understand that condemnation does not come from you. What comes from you is unconditional love as a father loves their children. Let's pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we are, we are a fan of the discussion questions here, and so whether, whenever it might be, if you're sticking around today, if it's on the ride home, if it's later in the week, if it's just something you ponder yourself, uh, there's value in kind of uh, spending a bit more time on it. So uh, simply ask you this, what, if anything, jumped out at you from today's talk? I always like to add that proviso, because as kids will tell me in school, uh, the answer of nothing is an answer. I get kids who on their exams where I, I don't know, and they claim it's, it's, it's correct, sir. And I'm like, yes, you're not getting any marks for that, but they try. Uh, it's that sort of idea. So you have the option of just saying, nothing really. So then you can go straight to number two. Has there been a time in your life when you could relate to one of the name tags? Either that I'm not doing it right, I might be doing it right, or I've given up on doing it right. And, and I'm hoping you could, even if it's just yourself, just thinking, do you always feel uncondemnable? Do you always believe that you are in a right relationship with God, regardless of the kind of week you've had, regardless of the conversation you just had, regardless of the harsh words you just shared? Do you know that you are uncondemnable and you are righteous in the eyes of God all the time? And so, uh, as always, follow that up with some prayer. That's always the easiest part. Just ask each other something I can pray about for you. And sometimes a bit, I can't really put it into words, but would you pray for me and my family, whatever it might be? Uh, God knows all, God hears all. And so thank you all for being here this morning. I'm going to give you a personal guarantee that either next week the air conditioner will either be working or not, I promise. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Thank you.